0: Hello, and welcome to the DPDL talent development podcast brought to you by Double Pass. I'm your host, Sartak Dubey, and this is a show where we talk about grassroots football, picking the brains of some of the leading experts in the field of talent development. In today's episode, I have with me Durva Vahia. Durva is currently the head of performance at the Reliance Foundation Young Champs, one of the leading football academies in the country, and certainly one of the most professional ones too. Um, she's got a pretty decent career as a player, right? Having represented India, uh, women's national team, uh, at the reserves, uh, level, she's also played, uh, in the United States, uh, at the second division level and in Exeter city, uh, for, for the women's team. She is a sports scientist by profession. She is also an AFC, a license coach, uh, and has been around in the Indian football circuit for a while now. She's also been the assistant coach at the under 17 and the under uh, the under 19 women's national team and we're super honored and proud to have Durva Vahia on today's episode of the DPDL talent development podcast. Durva, nice to have you on the show. How do you feel? Thanks
1: so much. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. I think it's been a long time coming and I'm really finally excited to finally have this lovely chat.
0: Yeah, it's it's um we've we've waited for this for more than I think one and a half months now. We've been trying to get a date uh, onto this. Uh <laughs> I to think to schedule so, this in. Yeah. But yeah, uh really glad that we could make it uh work. So Me too. So so Durva, you've you've been having a pretty busy period of late. Uh, it's the trial season, and I know how busy that is for you guys as you're looking for the next, uh, you know, cater in, into the Reliance uh, Academy. Uh, you've also had, uh, you've, you've very recently successfully completed the AFCA license, so congratulations on that. Uh, Thank you so how much. is How has this uh, experience been, especially on the A license? Uh, so
1: far, the A license is quite a roller coaster. Um, what was supposed to be a six month course became a nine month course because we had um, the COVID, uh, COVID second, third, four, well, December wave where everything kind of just shut down. Yeah. Um, it was it was actually a lot smoother than we kind of expected. I think um, initially when it started, it started a little rough with so many cases. Do we do it? Is there COVID? Should we continue? Should we cancel? Um, but it went well. It was hectic, um, as all courses are. Um, but I think it was really good. I think the level of discourse has constantly improved from, from the time I was at a CBA. Obviously the quality in the, of information that comes in is also higher. Um, what is really, really nice is that, um, so Savio has been my instu- instructor from the first course I've ever done till my A and, um, what has really been the best thing for me is to see him grow as a person and him also practice what he preaches. So it kind of also inspires me to want to be better because I can see that he's making the effort and he's taking steps to constantly improve himself. And, um, so it was really nice and really hectic, but worth it, Worth it when you get the final result?
0: Absolutely. I know, I know that feeling and, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, just getting your, your certificate and, and all the hard work that's, that's gone in it, it. It, really means so much, right. Um, amazing. So, so Durva, before we dive into the technical questions, before we pick your brains on, uh, you know, performance, potential development, uh, fatigue, load management, you know, all of these complex terms, I think the audience here, which is, uh, mostly parents, coaches of, of, uh, of the children who, who participate in the double pass development league, uh, you know, I think it's, it's very important for them also to understand, uh, your journey, to understand your uh, experiences, uh, and and you've had plenty, you know, as, as a player, as a coach, um, as, uh, as the, as, as a sports scientist in, in one of the leading academies in the country. So I think let's, let's get started off with, with that. Uh, you know, what's, what's your journey been like? I know we can talk hours on, on the whole thing, but, uh, you yeah. know, what, what's your, uh, experience and journey been like, and, and how did you, uh, get into Indian football and, 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 and grow your way, uh, through this.
1: So I think mine is a very, um coincidental, situational, kind of random, if, if, if you must, because when I started off, I never really thought I'd be here. I never I, I didn't know what sports science or, or performance even was. So I started off as a player. I played in school, um, really enjoyed it, did really well, started getting picked for the Maharashtra team. And then uh, we started playing nationals, and I started seeing these players who were like five, six steps ahead of where I was. And I said, I want to be them. I want to be there. I want to be with the national team. But i could also see that i was not at that level and i could see that my 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 the place where i trained was not helping me the amount in i needed I was, there was this kind of urgency where i was just like i'm not getting good enough fast enough um so and i remember not making it to the national team and being really frustrated saying why am i not able to take that step and uh, then someone suggested why don't we look at the us so um so just a little bit of background i come from a very academic family so my, pa- my My parents, my father is an astrophysicist and uh, so academics have always been important for me and my parents kind of had this bargain with me saying, you can play as much football as you want as long as your grades don't suffer and it seemed like a fair deal because I genuinely enjoyed studying and I enjoyed my academics, not in school, after school. But um, so what happened is when I was like, what do I do? How do I get better? I realized that the US was a reasonable option because I had decent grades as well to make that uh, jump. And in the US, the system is you have to maintain your grades to be a part of the team. So I realized that that would be something that I could manage. And um, so I just kind of, I, I sent out 53 emails to division two and three coaches because I knew division one was way out of my league. Okay. So I sent it out, I got four replies. Out of the 53 emails I sent, I got four replies. One, were, two were positive and the other two were just like, uh, we're sorry to inform you that this is, we don't have vacancy. Yeah. So out of 53, I had three, I had two positive responses. And then one of them was uh, the college I eventually went to and they asked for videos and they asked for these things. And that's kind of when I realized how professional it was, yeah. they wanted videos, they wanted physical scores, they want my testing scores and those kind of things. And we didn't have them. So I remember, um, with my school and my club coach, we kind of just started taking videos on these mud grounds, bare grounds, and, um, I just got lucky, I guess, but, um, they accepted me. I was there for a year. And then when I came back, I realized that, that that one step was really the biggest step that I had taken because it really helped me up my level. And so when I came back, I was called, uh, for a trial with the national team. And then for three years, I was consistently with them, um, in the reserve squad. Yeah. Um, but the problem was right. So I came back from the US um, and I'm here and i finished my degree. So now I have a bachelor's in chemistry. I'm playing with the the national team, but it's also a six months, six weeks is your camp. If you're lucky, it's an eight week camp. And then you have two of those in a year. So basically about four months in the year, you're engaged with the national team. And apart from that, you really have nothing else to do. And if you come from some places like Odisha or Manipur, you have these leagues that run throughout continuously. You have clubs that are playing, you have local leagues, you have teams that you train with. But in Maharashtra and Mumbai, that is a lot harder to come by. So I was kind of just like, what do I do with my life now? So at that point, um, I got a coaching internship with Manchester United Soccer Schools. And at this point, I had no interest in coaching. I just said, let me figure it out. And honestly, when you're 20, what do you do Right? You just take any opportunity that is, that is there because you're just like, let me figure it out and uh, so they were really like no you really need to do this you will do really well at it and they were really pushing and they were really really supportive and they really helped me grow so that's when i started doing my coaching licenses while i was playing and then i started coaching the youth teams the maharashtra under 14s to under 19s so i started coaching all of those girls teams i was playing with the national team i was also coaching at um, a few soccer schools and those kind of things in mumbai itself and then again, I was just like, what do I, what, happens next, right? Where do you go? What is, what is really professional? Because you can see that there is something lacking. And some of the things that were lacking were the questions that my players used to ask me, uh, how do I get faster? But how do I also stay strong? How do I get, stay strong and stay fast? Um, how do I improve my game and then you would also see these kind of things so some of the conversations we'll have later on again about growth and maturation, you can see players are losing a performance gaining performance there's a lot of variation that's happening. So that's when I was like what what is what is this um what can I do with this information and how do I understand it better. And that's when I came across this course called sports science and I applied for it like it was just one of those things that I had never heard of until I applied for it and then i went to the university of exeter where i did my um sports science and the first month in i was overwhelmed i was drowning i was like how have these people been doing these that this their whole life like this is my first month of this um but it was amazing i really settled into it quite well i worked with the the sports science team at the club i was also playing at um, and they had a really good youth setup, and they've sold players to Chelsea and, and and Southampton and Arsenal. So clearly they're they're very well known for their youth setup. And I was very fortunate to work there with some of the best people there. Yep. So that's where I really understood what it means to be a sports scientist at a youth academy because at senior team, it's pretty simple, right? You just have to improve performance, you have to find ways to improve the metrics. So your SNC needs to be extremely, extremely heavy. So that, that was quite um easy for me to intuitively understand. But I just didn't understand why it would be so important for youth. And then my year out there kind of really made me understand what it meant. Um, And then I came back to India after my degree, and I was very fortunate to be part of the youth national teams, the women's teams, the under 17, under 18, under 19. And that's when I really saw the impact of the work that we can do. So in a short period of time, we try to introduce, obviously, you don't want to upset a ecosystem too quickly. So we introduced small bits of sports science in there just to really see if it was helping. And what it really helped is I think more than the impact it had on the games, which it did, obviously the players were stronger, faster. It created this kind of lifelong understanding, I'm hoping it's lifelong, I'm assuming it's lifelong, but it created at least this thought in the head saying, Oh, okay. So when I go back, if I don't have access to all of this, how can I really take care of myself? And that's the kind of message that I have continued to try and share with the players that you need to know how to take care of yourself. You don't need to understand sports science to use it. You just need to understand that you have to trust that I'm trying to help you and do these things and it'll really add value. And obviously, some players it'll add value, some players it won't. So you have to change your methods. So I think that has been the biggest impact. And um, since then, we've really scaled our Young Champs program because we're continuously being able to impact a lot of technical decisions with a lot of information. So obviously sports science is data heavy. So we're able to really add a lot of value and, um, hopefully these kids can hold on to that and really use it. So just last night, in fact, I had a message from one of our players and he's just graduated and he's like, I'm so glad you taught me the things you did, because right now I don't have anyone to train with and I'm still able to really train and do well. And he did a couple of his tests yesterday and he's like, I'm, I'm faster than I was. So it's really, really, that those are the small wins that really help you um, nice. put perspective to what you do. Nice.
0: So that's
1: I mean, my journey in a
0: yes. Yes. You, you touched upon a lot of things, um, right. And, and some of them very important, right? So I'll let's, let's begin with this. You, you spoke about uh, the importance of uh, sports science at a youth level. When you worked at Exeter, I think that's, that's the first time you, uh, you know, found out about the importance of it. Right. So now. Na- now here's where I want to connect it to uh, the double pass development league, right? We've got, we've got uh, you know, coaches and parents who are primarily working with this age group, six to 12, right? Um, who, you know, play matches week in, week out at our league. And we can see that uh, th- there are two things at, at, at this level. There's there's performance and there's development, right? There, there are two key words here um while everyone talks about development everyone has that at the back of their head but as soon as the match begins and i'm i'm talking about both parents and coaches and i i see this week in week out as soon as the match begins it's performance over everything else uh for the coaches and uh the, the parents as well where for that brief moment of 40 minutes 45 minutes that the game is going on they forget that uh, these are 6 year olds or 8 year olds or 10 year olds who are playing uh matches, right? And I think everyone forgets that and uh they go into performance mode immediately. Uh and I, I'm not too sure how many of them come out of the performance mode after the match as well, uh, right, and, and go back into development. So I think it's it's a great starting point for us here, where if you can explain, uh, in this journey of, of a player, in in the journey of of athlete development, which starts uh, you know, from the age of six goes on till 18 and beyond. Once once the player makes it uh, to a senior uh, as as well. In this initial grassroots phase of six to 12, right? Uh, what are the key objectives? What what is it that coaches and parents should really focus on? Um, you know, and should they even focus on performance? Um, certain aspects of it. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that age group from six to 12?
1: So the irony is that I'm head of performance at Reliance Foundation Young Chance, but at Reliance Foundation Young Chance, we don't care for performance. And it's okay. really ironic because it's true. Yeah. We even at our, at our age of between, we have players coming in at 13 and 12, and we have them up until 18. We don't really care about performance in the sense of the end result. We care about performance in the sense of the ability to bring a certain ability level or a physicality to the table. And then whether you're able to use that in the most efficient way, we will teach you all of that. Um, I think the biggest thing that has been a big learning for me that has really helped me and which I hope your the audience can take away. It's not about you. So the minute you detach yourself from the child's performance, The minute you do that, you will stop caring about performance. Because the reason we get so intertwined is as, and I'm also guilty of this because I started coaching at grassroots. We feel that if the player performs well, it reflects on us as a coach. And unfortunately that is what is rewarded. And that is just ridiculous because that far from the truth because there's so many other variables. In my opinion, this is a personal opinion, your ability as a coach will only be proven or, or reflect. 20 years down the line, when the player is either still in the spot or not in the spot, but if they have actually gained some value from your experience. And so to be able to, to really say it, to really say that if the player performs well, or if the team does well, I have done a good job is just very, very myopic. We really need to look at the big picture and especially at that age, right? At six to 12, if you can't see the big picture, you probably should just remove yourself from that situation because you're just not healthy for the environment. I know that's really harsh but it's unfortunately very true because these kids um i'll give you some statistics because people don't believe people people believe numbers people believe data people believe evidence and there is insane amount of evidence that only one percent of your players will make it to a senior team there is evidence that about a third of your players will drop out of uh professionals drop out of the sport players who have joined at six to twelve will drop out due to injuries overtraining fatigue uh, unidimensional identities and just these kind of other social emotional issues that come with specializing so early. Um, and there have been countless, countless research papers and uh, case studies and individual biographies that say the same thing, right? Um, I'm not sure, but I think Andrea Agassi in his book, in his biography says this, like his parents' pressure was just too much and he hated it. And that's the thing, right? Do you want them to do really well and hate something five years down the line, or do you want them to do? Uh, okay, and then shine a little bit later. What you also see from a um, sports science point of view is law of averages. So your averages in the group are the ones that will typically uh, will will typically see success or continue on the journey because your outliers will fall out of the system. And so you really want to train your children to be average in the sense, don't have them outlier at a, such an early age because that has its own set of complications. So I'll give you an example. If a player is outperforming that group, they will get bored easily if you're not able to support them with their development. They will find easy outs and they will just not need to work hard. So then you you may have a very talented player and you're not willing to challenge them further. So if you challenge them further, you have solved that problem because you've taken an outlier and put him into another group where he is now on average. So there he has a space to develop. If you don't because you want him to perform, because you want him to do well and you want it to look good, that he is extremely good in this area. What happens then is he will stop working hard. He will stop trying. He will stop getting challenged. And then the boredom will set in or you have developed someone who has had everything so easy that the idea of working hard is too difficult. And we see that when they come into us that some kids are superbly talented, but they've never worked hard in their life because the talent has come so easy that for them to really put in the hours and work to be a professional is just not there. So then again, you have a talented player and then you being a professional and being talented are very different. You have to still put in and have the work ethic to get there. So how do you get that to keep them within the average? Um, I think my biggest takeaway is just don't associate their success with you. It's got nothing to do with you. And even if they do well or badly, it's got nothing to do with you. And I think what the important thing we want to encourage is just enjoy it and find ways to have them continue to come back regardless of winning or losing. So if they've done really well and, um, they've won by a margin of 10 goals, your other team, you've lost them from the ecosystem because they will never want to come back because they've lost so miserably. So find a way to really balance the experience for everybody who comes under you, because that's why you will get success because that is where your sustainable group will continue to come back to you. And then hopefully you can retain maybe two of them, because if you go by a statistic and you have. 10 players you're you're probably going to have two players who actually played overall at the end of your end of your 10 years but if you have a group of 30 that number goes up to three or maybe four i'm just pulling numbers out of my head but it's just the relativity of it right so just allow larger spaces more involvement and let let the natural course of their development take costs so that you have that success later on because in if you ask me so when i was with Mumbai city in 2015 there were some kids who were top; like they were insanely good. It was amazing to watch them play. Where are they now? I don't know. And that is the problem. We want, like, if you want the if you want the sport to develop, we also make need to make sure we're catering to those extremely talented kids so we can keep them in the system. So performance is is fun and it's great to win, but it's also important to not let that be your end goal.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and this is a very important point where you said, uh, you know, uh, players retaining players in the system. Because uh, that also, I feel is is something that widens the gap when you reach to that elite versus non- elite uh, kind of zone where the elite are getting better and better. It's because you don't have enough players in the system that that are staying back and and who are continuing to, you know even if they can't make it professional, they instead of just letting them go from the system, uh, can we find ways to keep them and and keep them engaged, even if they can't make it professional? Uh, and this is something that happens, you know, and and definitely happens after the age of twelve for sure. I've I've seen it like I've visibly seen it because uh, uh, that's when let's say the academics uh, pressure kicks in from from parents. Uh, uh, the, the growth spurts start kicking in around around that time as well. So we'll 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 come to we'll come to that. Um, but you know, in this six to twelve age uh, age group bracket, uh, you know, when when parents come up to me and they say. Uh, you know, my, my kid was, uh, you know, when I compare my kid against, you know, another player in, in the same team, or when I compare him or her to, uh, one of the, the star performers in, in the, op- in the opposition, uh, you know, parents do get, they, they go into the academics mode, you know, where they go into the pressure mode where, okay, how can I, how can I make sure that my child is doing better? I, I, I want him to play like that. I want him to be at that level. Uh, How do you think we can, what's the advice that we can give to such parents? Because I think the most important thing here is the the way the child is developing right now, there is no guarantee that the the player will be the same in in another four years or five years or even three years uh, from there, right? So how can we make parents uh, comfortable with this fact, make them understand that and and raise more awareness on this uh, from a scientific perspective as well. if, If you can give your inputs to um to help these kind of parents basically
1: so i've had a lot of a lot of discussions like this with a lot of parents here and um very honestly we've lost some of our kids to other academies because that was my straight feedback saying this is not where you're going to get that we're not going to train your kid to 10 hours of training just because you want them to succeed at 11 and 12. Um, I think the biggest issue there is the comparison. Like you said, right, it's a society thing. It's a comparison. My kids better than your kid. Um, I think what I would do is, is just kind of remind them that early success guarantees, nothing at all. And in fact, uh, what we see is even within the academy players who are, I can, I can, I can't explain this, but I can see a kid and say, this kid has been only playing football since the age of six. And for us as an academy that player is the hardest to work with. Because yeah. technically they're great, not as an academy, but as a performance department because their, their footballing is great, their football understanding is probably very high, but their physical de- development is so poor. So they are very at risk injuries. So even if you take out the emotions out of this saying, "Oh look, you know, but you, you want your kid to stay success uh, and failure, you, you remove the emotional aspect where you want them to be good kids who are able to work through it, all of that aside um physical development is very toxic if you only do one thing for the rest of you, for the first 6 7 years of your life and um i don't know if you're familiar with the 10000 hour rule but there was a, there was this um the, there was this theory that came out that said you need 10000 hours of practice of your specific um discipline to succeed in it that that came from a violin player and and it's brought into sport because it just seemed like oh look maybe we can apply this but it's been refuted a hundred thousand times everybody unanimously has so the sports science um ecosystem doesn't often agree but everybody agrees on this so that that must that's really telling so it it does not it, you don't need to do this you can have um so i'll give you examples manuel neuer played hockey i think until he was about 16 or 17 along with football Um, Roger Federer played football and tennis up until I don't even know how long, but you see a lot of these case studies where your top level athletes have played multiple sports before they specialized. And that is one of the reasons they, they are able to celebrate an injury free long career. And that is the important thing. The injury free bit comes only if you have the movement competencies in, in all of your different movement, uh, planes. So to make that even simpler, have your kids play multiple sports. They will learn different skills. They will learn hand-like coordination from one sport. They will learn foot coordination, then kicking and those kind of coordination abilities from track they'll learn, uh, learn how to run efficiently. They'll learn how to uh, gymnastics, they'll learn body awareness and body strength. Sure. So every sport has so much value. And if you only stick to one sport, you're only learning one thing. So then what happens is when they come to us or when they decide to go a little bit further in the sport, the body is not really adapted to different movement c- abilities. And then that makes them restrictive. Then there are overcompensations, there are imbalances, there are poor coordination. And all of these things then compound into a shorter career or a shorter, this is not a definite science, but the probability increases for a shorter career or or an injury-ridden career. So at this age, even in our academy, what we do is we do something called multi-sport. So there will be twice a week where the kids are not playing football for the first 30 minutes of a session they're doing rugby they're doing kabaddi um they're doing volleyball they're doing beach volleyball beach football variations just so that their bodies are able to move in different move uh, patterns of uh, movement and it just really builds them to be robust and holistic so if we can incorporate that early it just solves half your problems of movement competency. So if your kid is extremely good at football, but cannot play basketball to save their life, please leave them in basketball for a couple of months and then allow them to come back. And the thing is you will have some kids who really are that talented, who are extremely good movers because they have done these different sports. If you see that happening to your child, please up their level so don't allow your child to be a, a big fish in a small pond encourage your child to be a small fish in a big pond or a medium fish in a medium pond so you will have some so first of all that solves your comparison issue right because then you are equally matched so your extremely extremely good kid is going somewhere else where they are getting the important requiring uh, required environment to develop and your there the the rest of the group can then push each other because there will be about 19 20 there will be a little bit little bit of difference here and there yeah. But it is so important that those outliers are moved into development categories that are suited for them. So level them up can be anything. Level them up can be increased different sports. So have them play a different sport along with your main sport. It can be move them up in age group if they're physically ready for that. It could be move them to a different academy, uh, move them to a different ecosystem, it can be anything under the sun. I I can't answer that question unless I know the specifics. But it is really important that your outliers are then moved into situations that really help their development. That will cancel off your comparison, that will improve the quality of everybody. Because if your group has one player who is doing extremely well, the rest of the group will at some point be motivated but at a certain point there'll be a point of no return where they just say we're just never going to be that good it's fine so you have the law of different diminishing returns they're not going to put in the effort they're not going to get the same out of it but if you move that prayer out the social the social psychological development group the cohesion of the group will change and that's why you will be able to facilitate more development and it's just better for everybody and I think for this to really succeed, it is important that coaches again, don't associate player quality with themselves. And I think that one thing, one excellent thing is your league, right? Those are the environments where you can really have those opportunities to shuffle. So we also do this at the academy actively. So I'm not just saying that it's, this is not a utopia. It is tough for us as well to really explain to the kids why they're moving up and down, yeah. but it really does add value and we can see that the, if we are able to help with the uh, psychological impact of moving into different age groups the development really does get better like the confidence will get better the, the all your mental qualities your resilience and those kind of things do improve so it, it's it's very important that and i think this is something parents can do right you'll have some academies that have only pay to plays, you have some that have the development squad you'll have some that are better quality players put in the effort to really find what best suits your development needs for your player a child, you know,
0: fully agree with everything that you said there, you know, and when we talk about, uh, kids starting their functional movements or their their very basic movements that, that you said, if we, if you're able to start it a little earlier, let's say between the six to 12 age group, they're able to experience different kinds of of body movements through. It could be multi-sports or it could be, uh, you know, in, in whatever way they're able to move, uh, So what you're saying is there is benefits of starting early uh, rather than learning those movements at the age of let's say 10, 11, when sometimes, and and that's also another thing where kids are starting football quite late as well in in our country compared to the rest of the world. So is that, is that something that we can conclude that if we are actually able to increase, uh, you know, the number of kids that are able to play in that six to 12 age group a lot earlier. Let's say today we've, we've got parents who are listening in, who've got the elder one who's taking part in DPDL, but the younger one, what they may feel is is too young to, to let's say, put into a league like this. Uh, do you think it makes sense for them to begin thinking about putting their child into football or, or into any other sport at that age, rather than wait for the growth spurred phase, which is going to be even tougher?
1: I think start as early as you can. I think um, my key message is just start sport movements, climb a tree, jump off the trees, go on slides and swings, any kind of physical movement activity. Um, because the thing is, kids are curious by nature. So, for example, we had a bunch of six-year-olds who came for football training. This is when I was back at uh, Indian football school. The entire session, the only thing they wanted to do was climb the cage of Cooperage because the kids. They just want to climb things, they want to jump, they want to run around. So encourage it, allow it and let them really develop because the better they're able to understand their bodies and move with the bodies, the better footballers they will be or any sport. And the reason, so we encourage early participation, not early specialization. So what that means is start your sport as early as possible. So any sport that you want to specialize, like you want to eventually specialize in or focus on started as early as physically possible. It can be as simple as at home, they're just learning to dribble the ball or control the ball or those kind of things and don't early specialize what early specialization is only playing one sport seven days a week six days a week that is detrimental unless you have a program which is um so for example i'll give you an example in the uk um academy started five and six or whatever it is and but what they also do is they have multi-sport as a part of their curriculum because they want the kids to start early But they also understand the importance of not specializing early. So, we would have strength warm ups that are just uh, multi sport. So, you'd have tug of war, you'd have climate, you'd have uh, rugby, basketball, whatever it is. So, if that is part of your curriculum and that is being consciously taken care of, it's, I would still say, it's on the fence i would still say in a country like india we don't need to really st- specialize so early so just send them for sports classes because i think especially in metros like bombay and and Bangalore, these other places there is a lot of access to coaching and decent, good quality coaching. So there are different sports coaches who are just ready to come and take a class for your kids. So there's tennis, there's basketball, there's football, um, badminton. So just let them do these different sports as much as you want. So maybe it's three sports they're playing, maybe it's four sports they're playing. And then maybe as they come closer to the age of 13, restrict that to two sports. And then maybe at 13 14 you decide you want to specialize maybe limit that to once in a month they're playing a separate sport twice in a month three times a week whatever three times a month sorry and then maybe at 17 you can really say okay now I'll stop playing these other sports only focus on this spot and that can be a recreational activity when you're really tired or you need a recovery drink yeah. but early start is extremely important early specialization is just not important at all
0: absolutely absolutely and i think parents uh, who are listening in will definitely take this back and uh, i think we'll we'll see a lot more enrollments for for other sports outside of football now suddenly after this podcast i feel uh, the, way, the way it's the way Everything it's going but so that's but that's good yeah. and i think it's a good uh, it's a good message for football academies as well you know that in their training sessions uh you know it doesn't have to be every single session football you know i mean there's there's no harm in maybe doing your warm ups uh, warm ups doing your recovery days with other sports, I think even that's another way to directly integrate, uh, you know, um, other kind of to experience other functional movements uh, of the body as well for these players. Right. Another question that I had for you Durva, was, uh, this whole, uh, can we predict potential using, uh, you know, certain using, using certain, uh, I, I know it's, it's very heavy as soon as I said it, but can we predict potential in players, uh, at that at that age group again six to 12 uh, are there factors that that you look into uh, that parents should look into um, and and it's it's completely fine if there aren't as well uh, if uh, it's okay to to just focus on on fun at that age group but and potential comes later but for you that potential versus performance I think that's another key insight that that the audience uh, should should get.
1: That has been the question that me and the Academy as a whole, have been trying to answer, um, since I've joined. And I think that is the most crucial question because if you get that right, your life is set because then that means you're going to be able to find the next message. Um, yeah. unfortunately it's not been easy. Um, so I'll, I'll first talk about my experience and then I'll talk about the younger age group at our Academy. It is a little bit easier. Um, but it's not, it's not an exact science, right? So we're just, what we do is guesstimations and we do the guesstimations with as much accuracy as physically possible and what i mean by that is we take we really love our data so we take as much data as we physically can we collated collected and we look at what does the literature say about potential so what the literature says in talent identification and youth football i I, I only know about football um players who make it to the senior team at our faster the youth level so you're faster players and you're more technical players so these are the two main variables technical means football skills so your ball mastery and those kind of skills speed is just speed there is no correlation between um, agility or power and or strength and and future performance but these two metrics of of um, your your football skills and your absolute speed are very very crucial. Um, Having said that, none of this research is on Indian footballers. So really, is that true for India? Is a question that we are still trying to answer. What the research also says is that um, we we really don't have a way of predicting it, right? Because um, your talent, your, your faster, your more know, skillful players are, are better better suited for future success. But it's not as it's not again it's not it, there is no way to really know it unless you've done a complete uh program of just isolating an entire sector of society for 10 years and just monitoring them like a hawk unless you do that there's really no way to be hundred percent guaranteed get hundred percent guarantee but talent id does say this that talent ID does say that skills are very important for your sport skills yeah. studies saying that um not just case studies but also retrospective studies that say multi-sport players tend to have more success uh, a lot of it is emotional mental and physical development when you talk about the mental aspects of it there are um three key key what do you call it three key metrics that pop out that that are goal setting problem solving and social support seeking so there are ways to measure these of players and what what talent identification literature says is that these three metrics if the player is da- has done well they are better suited for success uh not better suited also they're just they're slightly closer to what a successful player looks like so how, how talent id research really looks is this is what you're good at right now um follow you 10 years down the line five years down the line what are the players at this level right now doing so your professionals what are they doing what are they good at so we can probably say look this is probably the link but they were good here they're good here and that's probably the link so the problem with talent identification and this is probably a little bit of a tangent we are looking at the professional players of today and trying to predict whether 10 years down the line the 10 year old is going to make it there so there is obviously the fact that we are looking at data for 20 year old players or 22 year old players and trying to predict whether a 13 year old or a 12 year old is going to be able to hit that the fact is that they might hit that but the sport is changing and it is changing rapidly there is so much commercialization there's so much professionalism that everything in the sport the technical tactical playing styles are changing so everything in the sport is changing So you also have to understand that there is a huge flaw in our entire talent identification system just because of the situation that we're in. There is no other way. This is the best way to do it, but it's still flawed. So always take that with a pinch of salt. Having said that, there are metrics that we see that say that this is what a youth talented player, this is what talent identification is, and this is what it says about youth players, and this is what it will predict for uh, senior players. Again, your your uh, for us, what we kind of really like to understand is your speed, your technical skills, um, goal setting, problem solving, social support seeking. So these are your five real metrics that we that Tan research says is is kind of a prediction for future success. The problem is now at six to twelve how do you really the kids are still developing cognitively right they don't understand social support at six cognitively the player is selfish because of how they're developing they don't understand this they develop first within themselves and within their immediate around surroundings and then as they get to like eight and ten and twelve they're developing more they're able to play so if you look at curriculum for grassroots also you see at six years old it's all about individual players one v ones ball skills i i don't mean six six seven eight because at that age children are inherently selfish it's not right it's not wrong it is just what it is they are inherently selfish because that's how they're developing cognitively so at that age if you tell them to start passing the ball they're not going to understand they're not going to care they're not going to do it and you will have no success there so allow it to happen and then at 10 12 they're starting to really develop these other skills so i think what i my main kind of point with this is that it is really impossible to use these metrics from 6 to 12 because 6 to 12 is such an important time where they're growing. So, but physical development happens then, right? Physical development is, is, uh, cognitive development is a lot more complex, takes a lot more time, needs a lot of social support, but physical development is relatively easier to do at that age. So at that age, then maybe what we look at is movement skills. Are they good movers? Are they bad movers? And um, and most of the kids at 6 to 8 are excellent movers. Um, if they've been exposed to the sport early and then at 10 and 12, you see your, some of your awkward kids. So again, movement competencies change over the course of of age group. So what we really do is we look at the picture in front of us, we try and pull out all the other information and the other pieces of the puzzle. And then we try and put it in and look at it contextually and case by case, because like I said, there are so many different things that matter. So your growth matters, your maturation, your birth quarter, relative age effect um cognitive development environment nutrition family school what do you watch in your free time what do you do in your free time where have you grown up so those things really impact all of these metrics that we found as potential so at 6 6 to 12 it's so unfair to really rate them at that in fact even at 12 and 13 we don't give too much importance to that um but what we do like to look at is movement competency so i think if if that is really if you can really develop that early on that is very important because What uh, the ability to move well in different planes of movement also means that you pick up things very quickly. So what it means is that if your body awareness is very high, if you have to learn a new skill, you learn it quicker. So even though your technical skills might be low, if your movement competencies is really high, you will take maybe a day to learn something, but I might take three weeks. And that is the difference. And that is why we put so much emphasis on it. The mental skills skills like i said are very important for resilience for long-term development long-term growth but it's a catch-22 right those things also develop when you are in those environments so yeah. it's so complex it's really hard to do and i think 6 to 12 we just don't focus on that it's too early. Right. Add to yeah. that, what you can do is have like i said earlier in the in the in the conversation about grouping them ability wise so you will always have one group that is slightly performing better or or not performing worst word to choose in this context but one uh one one group of players that is a higher skill set compared to the other that will help with selections or or potential or those kind of things but in at six to twelve it is also possible that a player who has skill sets here in your high um in your high skill set group and uh, c- compared to a low skill set the low skill set kid can pick up very quickly if they have better movement skills so that movement and that fluidity between the groups is very easy to do if you have the right movement skills and if you're really training your sport at that age
0: got it got it very clear and i think what parents and coaches should take away from this is in this age group between i mean you, you stressed on the importance of physical development uh which is going to come in that period of uh, the youth phase from 13 to 18 onwards where the physical, de- and of course, physical development is happening throughout, but if there is a uh, more importance given to movement skills between the age of six to 12, I think the players will be able to better cope quicker. I mean, have their, their learning will be a lot faster and uh, when the physical development uh, stage does come, which is going to be slightly tough for, for, for some of them, because, you know, f- all the factors that you mentioned but movement skills is what will ultimately stand out and help them adapt better uh, as as athletes
1: right yeah sure because what the growth spot does is kind of just exaggerates your qualities it doesn't give you superpowers and it doesn't take away your powers. So if you are good before your growth spurt, you will be even if you suck during your growth spurt, because it's sometimes growth is really unkind to some kids. Like they really struggle with everything. And that's fine. You just have to give them some time to settle down. The minute they've settled down, they go back to their uh their baseline plus the exponential growth that comes with your added muscle mass and those kind of things yeah. so it's so important that pre-growth you are able to develop all of your basic movement qualities, so that through the growth spur and after the growth spur, you will see the impact of it so what we also i i don't know this might be a bit technical but all development pre-puberty is neuromuscular all development post-puberty is physiological so you will not have much of a difference on their muscle musculature or muscle mass or any of the muscle metabolism pre-puberty it, before that it is only neuromuscular so the ability for your brain to send neurons to respond to that action so that the, so your skill movements your agility movements your strength movements all it does is t- it trains your brain to really start reacting quicker or sending more neurons to that muscle that you're targeting to that you're training once you've hit that beautiful time of puberty your muscle size, your strength, your speed, all of it just comes to you. And that is the beauty of the pre and post growth sport. So it's also important that you train this, all of it, even the strength aspect, even the speed aspect, you train all of it pre-puberty, but you will not understand the actual impact of it until they've hit puberty. And that is why it's so important that movement skills, abilities, coordinations, all your ABCs and everything involved with that is trained puberty as well, because there is a massive neuromuscular adaptation that is so quick. And once you've hit puberty, it is more physiological where you see the effects of what you've done for the last five, six years.
0: Absolutely. So I think I'm going to create a, a hashtag after this called hashtag movement skills, and I think we should, yeah. we should trend. We should hope that, hope that trends soon, because I think that's the key word that we take away from this, right? Uh, as coaches, as parents focus on movement skills, uh, you know, try and give them different experiences. Uh, and and yeah, don't don't go for early specialization. Don't put pressure on 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 that aspect on the kids. Let them enjoy. Let them have fun. So uh, the next section uh, when we move into the uh, it's uh, a lot of academies. Of course, we've got the likes, the bigger academies like your you know uh, BFCs and uh, uh, Boca Juniors and and uh, uh, Beijing Mutia Football Schools who take part in our leagues. You know these are these are big academies. But we've also got small and medium sized uh, academies that, uh, that probably are, are running in a, in a very basic uh, football uh, model, which is having a coach, having a manager, having uh, a sessions put on and everything. Now, uh, the insight that you're giving us, the insight of a sports scientist is, is extremely useful for, for academies, uh, no matter how big or small they are, because it can add value back to the, the, the growth uh, of, of the player ultimately, right? So first, what I want to do is for these academies, the small and medium sized academies who now probably after this podcast might start looking at sports science a little differently might think of maybe uh, hiring some experts or some um, professionals in, in this space as well. Uh, but of course, it all depends on budgets and, and not not everyone is going to be able to afford a sports scientist. But I think yeah. what, what I'm trying to get from this question is the very basics of sports science. One, if you can break that down, the very basics uh, in in very simple terminology for these coaches and uh, uh, players and parents who are listening in, uh, what can they do from a sports science perspective? Uh, And even if even if these ideas are just planting a seed in their head to go and do a bit more research on this, our job is done, right? So in a a very simple way, what do you think at the grassroots level, uh, coaches, and parents mostly coaches and smaller academies what can they do uh, to to help from a sports science angle
1: so i'll give you um some also something that i used to do so i uh, come from a i i used to live in tifr which is tata institute of fundamental research it was a big colony of 10 10 buildings i can't really remember and we had a ground in front of my building like i could see it from my window i started an academy there what I did is I just got the kids from the colony and I would coach them three times a week, four times a week. And uh, it's a science environment, right? So everybody's curious. Everybody likes to think. So what we used to do, and that is that was before I studied my sports science, which I didn't know was sports science. Um, we used to measure their height. We used to have, we had a basketball um, hoop. hoop yeah. yeah. And we used to just measure their height against it every, every month, every two months. Um, We used to do tests in gamification. So we'd make them do strength games. We'd we do like physical games. We do wrestling and those kind of things for fun. Also, I had the luxury of time. I used to get them four times a week, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, we used to we used to do tests. Like I said, we used to do competitions. We used to do individual challenges and individual prizes and those kind of things, where each of them had a monthly task. All of that is sports science. Sports science just sounds very scary and weird and complicated, but it's really the simple, simple stuff. Monitor, monitor, monitor. See where they are now, see where they're from a month, where, where they are a month from now and how they can improve. One of the easiest and most crucial things I would suggest is uh, learn about uh, PHV. PHV is your peak height velocity. That is your growth spurt. After the player hits the growth spurt, growth spurt is defined as seven centimeters in a year. So if you are growing at seven centimeters a year or anything more, you are you are hitting your growth spot. We do monthly measurements, which makes it a lot easier for us to track that PHP. But even if you don't have them monthly, just do it, do take a tree that you always have at your training ground, not a tree trees grow. Maybe it's a fence, maybe it's a wall, anything. Just mark out their heights. Make them do it at their houses. If you see that they've grown a centimeter or a centimeter and a half in the month you know that they're growing a little bit fast and suddenly one month they grow two centimeters and suddenly one month it'll be two and a half you know they've hit their growth spur. at that point manage their load like a hawk what that means is just really ask them is your knee hurting is your ankle hurting is your foot hurting Are you? any niggle that they feel is very important at that at that phase don't overlook the niggles at that age, because then that growth spot is very crucial where you will have these niggles, which could lead to hampered growth or delayed growth, or it can become chronic. We see this a lot with some of the kids, like that growth spot is really becomes chronic pain. So one of the simplest thing is just measure their height. Um, if you have access, uh, try and get their parents height, you can do a predicted height. So if you have their height, their parents height, and their date of birth, you can predict their height um what we can do is maybe i there is a there is readily available resources on the internet that help you with this so i think it's very easy to come by sure. they can use that because we still use the european equation because we don't have an indian equation for it okay. predicted height you can look at how much so if if for example Durva is supposed to be 180 i wish if i'm supposed to be 180 and right now i'm, I'm 160 i can look at the percentage difference if they're about 90 percent when they hit about 85 to 96 percent of that height you know they're growing really rapidly at that time so what that means is sometimes it's not obvious right if i'm supposed to if i'm right now 130 and I'm, my predicted height is 160 i have only 30 centimeters to grow so i will grow slowly maybe kids who are taller will typically have a more dramatic growth spot so for them that the, the uh, growth is very exaggerated but use these kind of very simple methods, just your height to predict how tall they're going to be and how tall are they now? And what is the difference percentage difference? And using that, what we can see is, um, between 85 to 93 is your growth spot. And you know, at that age, really, really monitor them like a hawk. That is my main takeaway, because that is where you lose or keep a player. What happens is in the growth spot, if they are not monitored, well, they will drop out of the spot because suddenly they don't find any success suddenly they're not able to cope. Suddenly they're very awkward, suddenly they're very uncomfortable and they may choose to step out of the sport because they're not able to go through that correctly. Sure. Um, we, we see that in our players, you know, for two, three years they're really struggling, they're really, really, really struggling physically to just cope with the team because they're growing so quickly. Yeah. But then they settle down at 16, 17 very easily. It's just about patience. So really uh, my key thing would be just to ma- measure that growth and maturation at that age what we also used to try and do is tie up with different sports academies. So if I do football, there used to be an athletic athletics coach that I knew, we'd send them there sometimes. Um, have them do these kind of different sessions where they're training in different sports. So again, I come back to my favorite thing, which is movement skills. Just have them, allow them to go to different sports. If you are an academy, bring them in, because I'm sure at this point, we all have friends who are in different sports. So use their expertise, try and allow that to happen. And what really is also, I think, is a little, probably a little utopic, but really exchange players sometimes if you can. And I mean in a very, um, very basic sense of, sometimes if you feel like a player is going to benefit somewhere else, send them. Just do it. Maybe don't need to send the player permanently, but maybe once a week a session is. So, for example, if I have a kid who comes to me who I know will benefit more from training with another group of players who are a lot better, I will try and encourage them to go there because they will develop more. And, um, I know it means re- losing players and I know it means maybe losing the fees of someone, but then maybe you can work it out with the academy and say, look, this is for the betterment of the players. And I think it's really comes down to finding that cohort that you trust. So finding coaches that you trust and really developing with them. Um, but that really is for science for that age group because loan management, recovery, all of that is, is important. Um, but not as crucial as really the growth spurt and, um, just the, the movement skills. What I will say about recovery is these kids recover extremely fast because of their muscle fibers Um, and and then they predominantly, I don't know if anybody, will this may be too technical, but they predominantly rely on their aerobic system. So their anaerobic system has not developed, which means the fast twitch fibers have not developed again, like I said, because it's not physiological development, it's neuromuscular. Because they're so reliant on their aerobic system, their recovery is also that much quicker. So what you see is they'll get gassed out in one sprint, But you give them a couple of seconds, they'll be sprinting again because their recovery is that quick. So don't worry too much about recovery for them. They don't need um, any sort of gadgets. They just need to eat well and sleep well. And that will be more than enough for that age group. Even at, at our academy level, we don't allow any recovery modalities until 18 because it's not necessary. If you're not recovering through your basics of eating and sleeping, you have a bigger problem at hand. So find the solution for that problem. Don't just fix it with recovery modalities, not important at all. Um, what I would also say about younger ones is also don't overtrain them. They don't need two sessions a day. They're still kids and they still need to develop because if we lose out on their emotional, cognitive and social development at that age, you've lost out a lot more, which you will never be able to regain. So allow them to be kids. Don't have two three sessions a day. Have one is more than enough. Let them have multiple sports. And as a sports science goes, check their height and weight every month. See when they're hitting that growth spurt. And when they hit that growth spurt, monitor them like a hawk, and just really help them through it sometimes you might at that age need expertise of strength and conditioning coaches where we come in and we can say this is where they'll benefit or this is what they need to do so for some kids it's proprioception, balance, agility for some kids it's pure strength because their muscles and and bones are are growing so quickly that they just need some more strength to really help them balance it off it's different players need different, different physical development so at that age maybe you do need a specialist coming in but even then, if you're just, you have that conversation with the player and explain to them the importance of just allowing them patience and time, it the, the players will clear out very quickly.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, once again, the, the parents and coaches listening in, if like, like Durva said, if we are able to, uh, and, and sports sciences is, is not as technical as, uh, as, as we, we think of it to be at, in this context, right, all we have to do is probably measure and monitor uh, right those those are the keywords measure and monitor uh the growth it, it it could be the the height and and the height is is the the easiest way to to probably monitor that because for us i'm bringing this back to the context of uh grassroots football right and and youth football uh, it's about keeping players in the system i feel if you're able to keep them longer in the system uh you know even if they don't make it professional like you said 99% or more may not make it professional But if they take back something important from the sport, important life skills, it's, it's just going to make them better human beings, you know, for, for the rest of their, their life and and careers. So this whole growth sport, uh, stage, the the phase that these players go through is an important, um, kind of phase where players are dropping out, players may drop out because of the reasons that, that you just heard from, from Durva. So it's even more important for us as coaches, as parents to uh to monitor to measure and to to probably seek out the help of of specialists as well like you said uh when the time comes when the time comes right uh, And just to
1: add to that right so if you think about it from a big picture um in in your friend circle or in my friend circle the people who are most likely to go to the gym go for a walk go hiking play sports are play, people who have played sport at a younger level so when yeah. you think about it from a lifestyle perspective you want to retain them in sport as much as possible because then physical health benefits of physical activity and exercise will will continue right? right of someone who's never done any sport is not very likely to start sport at the age of 30 but someone who's had some experience with sports and physical activity will be a lot more confident to be to go back into physical health which has its own um, societal impacts of better quality human beings and better quality of health and. Reduce obesity, reduce cardiac issues, and those kind of okay. things. So it's also if you be as I mean, as the sport science community goes, these are some of the other issues apart from performance, like elite sport performance, and and okay. sport is one one aspect of sports science. But we also want to look at if we can really impact it for life, and Correct. really reduce those kind of uh, health issues that come up later on.
0: Correct, absolutely. So uh, I think Durva, with with that, we uh, we can safely conclude uh, today's episode of the DPDL talent development podcast. I think, uh, this has been like a treasure trove of, of information and, and lots of good information that people will take back, probably do a Google search after this as well on some terminologies and, and read a bit more about it. I know I will for sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely expecting coaches and parents to do the same. Uh, but you know, everyone listening in, I think, uh, just from my side, I, I really want to thank you Durva, for your time. Uh, you're, you're a busy person. This is a busy time of the year for you. Uh, but you know, thank you so much for taking time out, uh, for, for, uh, this, this episode. And, uh, I, you know, just, just to let everyone know, we guys are also, uh, very soon planning to, uh, start DPDL in Mumbai. So I know, uh, I will be meeting you in person for sure very soon. Um, uh, and, awesome. and probably. Uh, speaking to Yash and, and getting his permission to, to get you on board for a few workshops with parents and coaches uh, live hopefully in, in Mumbai as well um, and Definitely. Uh, I, that's that's a, a conversation me and Yash I think will will probably have uh, as well uh, because but obviously what I'm trying to say is we would love to have you as uh, you know do more of uh, let's say workshops, information and awareness workshops especially with, with coaches and parents with us because I think this is this information is is so key and and we need to spread this uh, as much as possible amongst the youth football uh, community. So, uh, so happy to
1: help in any way possible. And uh, thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed this conversation. I love talking about sports science. So, more than happy to do it all the time.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much uh, Durva, and hope to see you very soon.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.